Hello, and welcome to Gaming for Geezers. I'm Nelson. I'm Mr. Krusty. And today we're here to review Battlefield 2142. Um, Mr. Krusty, before we do that, why don't you tell everybody briefly about yourself and uh, what's going on with you? Okay, well, uh, you know, being sort of the uh, enthusiast, I like playing lots of different kinds of games. So I, I have a lot of things going on in terms of different uh, things I'm testing out right now. So I'm pretty excited about um, some of the new publishing uh, uh, stars that have, have come across uh, our desk. I, I, I like uh, right now um, Battlefield, actually, Bad Company 2. I'm enjoying that. But I'm also enjoying uh, some superhero games. So that's kind of what I'm playing in right now. Nice. I I just um, finished playing the single-player campaign for uh, uh, Warhammer 40,000, or whatever that is. Um, and, you know, it was, it was mildly interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to some things as well, including uh, the new Fallout that's come down the pipe, and the new StarCraft, which will be out here in about two weeks from uh, the date of this recording. I think that's actually the thing that I'm most interested in right now. Is I've been waiting for StarCraft II for, oh, about 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> so, <same> year. <laughs> so uh, I think it's something that uh, I've been looking forward to. And in fact, you know, Warhammer came across my desk because I was desperate to see what the next version of something like that could be. So that might be in the works in terms of reviewing a uh, compare and contrast, I think. I think we should do that. Yeah. But today, we're here to talk about Battlefield 2142. This game does not suck. You should go buy this game. It is the best game in the universe ever. And especially, you know, since it's been out for a while, um, you know, it, we have a lot to compare it to. And um, it still is uh, at the top of the echelon for me um, in terms of a structure of a great game. Now, you know, technology has shifted a little bit, but, uh, but I think uh, as a benchmark, this is a great a great game to kind of go by. And um, we'll talk a bit more about uh, our benchmarks um, as we continue here. Yes, yes. And, you know, our listeners should know that we're not... I mean, we do love Battlefield 2142, and it's kind of what brought us together. But this benchmark can change. Um, if we find a better game overall that meets the criteria on our list, uh, which we will use to go through this review today, uh, we'll change, and we're, we're okay with that. Right. But it's nice to have something to kind of go back to, but also something that's um, you know, stood the test of time. And um, I still play this game, and I still enjoy it. And there's still a, a large community of people who do play this game. So this is good. For yeah. Me. yeah, I'm totally with you. This game has legs. Um, and this is our ideal game. Um, primarily because of the superior online gaming experience, which is, you know, as, as you know, Mr. Cresty, the Battlefield franchise kind of, uh, if, it, if it didn't invent it, it has set the bar for the online gaming experience out there. This is true. And um, as you can see with some of the latest publishing um, uh, hyper machines out there, you know, uh, a lot of people aspire to the qualities that had this game, but they really don't. They don't meet it, and we did a review of uh, Modern Warfare 2 on our site at uh, www.gamingforgeezers.com, and you can kind of see, um, you know, how some of these latest publishing ventures actually uh, don't necessarily hit the same same uh, notes. Yes, and why don't you tell everybody about 
maps on this game. Well, uh, you know, this is actually one of the great things about this game is that um, the, the the maps are actually compelling, um, and uh, you know, the environments are believable. Um, you have different inner city. Um, different kinds of territories, different kinds of environments. Uh, the environments change from cold weather to warm weather to desert. Um, there, you know, and, and the layouts actually are compelling in, in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, for me, the, the layouts allow you to have multiple kinds of tactics and strategies um, as a, an individual, but also as a team. And, and I think that's critical. I, I I totally agree. I love the big maps, and I love that the map uh, within the map itself you have you know close quarter environments and you have you know long range vehicle environments. Which brings me to ask you, what, what do you think about the vehicles in twenty one forty two? Well, I, and I think that's actually one of the most compelling parts about the game is that you actually have the ability to participate. Um, in the expanse of the map within within the vehicle structure, you can actually have a completely different experience just through the vehicles. Um, while you can still support your team and, and play your roles, and we'll get into roles later, but you know you can you can actually play the game within the construct of you know a tank commander or um, you know a um, a light cavalry kind of play, and and that's actually important too. You know, having these different kinds of engagements. Um, allows for a lot of playability and replayability of the game. Yeah, do do you fl- now they have uh, tanks? Um, they have light vehicles, which, uh-huh. which you know, depending on on you know uh, the side that you play, uh, hovercrafts, different kinds of um, I think they call them um, magnet drive. <laughs> yeah, helicopters tanks basically, and helicopters and uh, a variety of different kinds of things. Um, but th- there's another aspect to the vehicles, and that is, is that a, a vehicle actually ends up becoming a strategic objective, and that is the Titan. And so um, what's interesting is that you have this floating ship, basically, that becomes an objective in itself. So not only is it a vehicle you know, that you can actually participate in, but it's also something you can take on. It's, it's an objective in itself. So you know, they've actually pushed the idea of a vehicle to well beyond kind of what typical... Uh, video games have, this is a battle cruiser or a battleship that you actually have to take on. So there's an assault quality to having the vehicles. And, and so the expanse of having the multiple vehicles there is, is actually believable for me. Yeah, I, I love the t- the Titan mode. And, and that, that is one of the kind of map modes that 2142 gives you. And it's, it's, it's so interesting because, first of all, it looks like Battlestar Galactica. Um, Which is a good thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And sometimes, depending on the server, you can move the thing, uh, which becomes important. It, it moves just as fast and as efficiently as a battleship. So you can imagine that you can't move this very fast. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to go into the uh, little—they're I, I, not teleporters—little uh, ports where you you jump in and then you eject out uh, of the tube. Uh, and you can land on top of buildings if you're a sniper or on the other Titan. Uh, and where, where, where you drive that Titan becomes strategic as well. Right. And right. when I used to play this all the time, that, that's kind of where I gravitated was just to Titan mode. Because the game um, is your typical first-person shooter capture the flag game. But then you add the Titan element on top of that. But also the Titan 
integrates into a sort of a land strategy as well, where you actually have to capture bases, and those bases allow you to actually send missiles up to attack and destroy the shield around the original Titan. And that's actually one of the first criteria. You have to actually get the shields down enough to be able to, to uh, destroy it. And, you know, that's actually, uh, you know, the, the, the total integration in the game from the ground, from basically the, the map sort of management to the objective management, again, is where this game excels. There's a strategic component to the game that allows you to really play this in an immersive quality, but bring strategic and tactical elements so that you're really playing as a team. And I, that, it, Byronon is probably the best team game I think I've ever played. Yeah, me, me too. And, and I, just one last thing about the Titan mode is that I really like how it's it's really two games within a single experience. Um, you, you, like you just said, you have the capture of the flag element, and then the game transitions once the shields are down. Uh, you can either just blow up the Titan by holding all the all the flag points, which shoots missiles at it, and it will eventually destroy the Titan, or you can send a squad of people inside of the Titan to the enemy's Titan. Right. Uh, to fight in close quarter uh, combat, uh, which is it really interesting? It becomes like urban assault at that yeah. point, and oh, yeah. and so you know you actually have this long range, like for instance sniping uh, and and vehicle strategy. It suddenly becomes really tight, and that that sort of a accordion quality of gameplay, where you actually have to change tactics based on environments, again is seen in very few games. And I, again, another highlight to this game is that that replayability, but also shift in, in tactical strategy as objectives are taken on. I think that's great. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. Now, this is a prototypical first-person shooter online in that you have different character classes you can choose from. Right. Um, which which ones do you like? Well. It, you know, I, I typically take on this kind of assault, but also engineering kind of role. I like to kind of support roles where, um, and that's also why I like vehicles, because you take on a support role and, and then all of a sudden you, you're basically either supporting yourself or supporting uh, another person within basically construct of a, of a, a vehicle. I, I also like, you know, uh, different kinds of sort of medics, but, but the main part that I play is, is really around, you know, the engineer or the assault. Either I want to be on the front lines, you know, taking on direct action, or I want to basically be in a support role to a major sort of, uh, you know, destruction machine. So that's kind of where I, I kind of gravitate to. I don't know, how about you? What, what do you... Usually when I play these games, I start out as a sniper because I, I, I like not having to be in total command of the environment, like be able to sit in one place and hide uh, until I get a kind of a feel for the game. And, I, and there's a good opportunity to do that uh, in 2142. Yeah. I also like the medic uh, for the same reason I like the engineer in that I, I, I see and I identify that uh, in really good games, your team is rewarded if some... If not everybody is, you know, the the, the glory hero, you yeah. know, out in front shooting. You guys do so much better if you have one medic in a squad. Right. Uh, that way, you don't die real fast. Uh, as compared to when everybody's, you know, got a machine gun and blazing, you all get shot and you're dead and you gotta start over. Well, and I think this is this lends to also, frankly, you know, our the characteristic of being a little bit of a geezer is that we see a little bit more of an expansive view of of strategy and tactics and. And, you know, taking on different roles is important as a team player. And I think, you know, that's actually an important part of this is is having these kind of 
uh, multi-dimensional sort of role-playing within the game uh, allows you to kind of move forward, but also um, really contribute to the, the winning of of their objective. And and so many games fall apart because everyone's trying to do the same thing. And uh, we'll get into this a little bit later, but you know, it ends up being the guy with the biggest mod or a shift in the in strategy or different kinds of hardware that wins rather than an actual you know thinking uh, approach. And again, that's what I, appre- I appreciate in this. Yeah. The other thing I really like about this game is that there are, there are three levels of of unit play that you can play. Yeah. You can be a squad member, and you, you don't even have to be on a squad. You can run around by yourself, but you're you're a fool to do so. Um, or you can be a squad leader, which gives you the ability to uh, you don't you don't have control over the other human beings who are playing online, but um, there are benefits to being in a squad that are readily apparent. Like you know where they are, uh, you can. You can lay down uh, homing beacons that allow you to spawn in different places, uh, and and that's really enjoyable. And you can issue orders to your own squad, or you can play as a commander, which which basically requires you to not enter combat. And in fact, some of the servers don't let you do that. They kick you if they see you flying in a in a helicopter or driving a tank while you're commanding, because they want the commander to just focus solely on the macro view, and in the commander view, you get to you get your own special map and tools that allow you to scan for enemies and then communicate that to your squad leaders. You don't get to talk to the the whole team, but just to the squad leaders. So, so they have to they have to be coherent enough and and act cohesively enough to use your information. And you can also use um, like an anti uh, kind of a oh, what's what's the name of that? It's a a pulse, it's like an orbital cannon, cannon, you know. Yeah, well, you get the orbital cannon. You got the also the ECM or whatever it is that um, will disable vehicles. EMF. Yeah, EMF. Electromagnetic or EMP. Sorry, electromagnetic EMP, pulse. EMP. That's it. That's it. Gosh, yeah. we're gazers. Yep. Now. Um, communication kind of spins off from that. And communication is quite superior in this game, uh, far superior than the other online shooters we've played recently. Um, it's quite easy to hook up your headset and talk to your squad leaders. And as I just described, you can talk within your own squad. So you can tell if you're if you're running around together, you can say, "Hey, look out to the right. There's a sniper there," or "I'll get him," or whatever. Yeah. And then squad leaders can talk to the commander well as well and, and get information about the whole battlefield and even get orders over 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 the mic. Well, I th- and I think what you're getting to is that uh, the, the actual communications, whether they're verbal or t- uh, type, you know, typewritten or whatever, uh, or even key command, you know, those those communications are actually rewarded, but they're also a part and structure of the game. Like, in order to actually win the objective, you actually have to communicate. That's actually not the case in a lot of the latest games, especially, you know, frankly, Modern Warfare 2. Um, you know, I, I, I actually believe that that's one of the big um, criteria that's missing out of a lot of the games is that there's no, no reward for good communication. And frankly, I want to mute all the fuckers on the, you know, on these other games because it, it just becomes superfluous. 
it ends up being you know people razzing each other rather than actually advancing the game. So, you know, that to me is a is a, an important part. The other part about the communications, it's even more direct in, in terms of just managing a squad. It's um, they're actually very simple. You know, defining objectives, getting the objectives done, and uh, shifting those things directly. You know, uh, with done with a mouse and done in the way that they've done it in this game. Um, you know, it's compelling. I mean, you actually want to participate um, in that process. This is not the case in, in some of the, these, again, these latest games. You know, the, the, the actual direction or coordination of a squad, actually, it's not even required because the maps are so small in Modern Warfare 2 or, you know, in other games, basically, uh, the objectives are so clear that, frankly, you don't need that. Um, What's nice about uh, uh, Battlefield 2142 is, you know, the objectives of, can be opaque. In other words, there's multiple objectives to be done, so you have to make some choices. And that requires the communication to be effective. And um, that, to me, is, is good. I, th I think that's uh, it actually a hallmark of this game. Yeah, and whether or not you, you, know, you don't use a mic or you do... Um, one of the instances I'll, I'll give our listeners for telling them why this is so important is that when you jump into a game and you know, one team is communicating well and the other team is not, the game is over in like three minutes yep. because you split up your resources efficiently and you just win real fast. Uh, when you have you know, 30 different individuals running around on the other side, uh, you're, you're, you're going to wipe them out uh, solely because you're communicating. Right, and and because this community has been playing this game for a while, people understand that by just because the people who understand that basically are playing this game still, <laughs> right. because it's it's running the few games that allows you to have that kind of expansive environment, but also this command environment, the command and control and tactics on the ground matter, and um, that's how you win, and that's how you get rewards. So. Yeah, you know the other thing I like about this game is that the leveling up is spaced out, uh, and you have to work hard to earn these level ups. And it's right. there's nothing random. There's no award for crouching the most during a game, right. which I saw in another shooter, and I thought, wow, that's really stupid. Um, yeah, yeah well, and and there's another part of that too, and that is is that um, because the leveling makes sense. Uh, the weapon upgrades um, are actually gradual and require a different level of skill. Um, frankly, again, I, I hate to harp on this, but Modern Warfare 2, I mean, every fucker out there basically gets a, a grenade launcher to start with. And frankly, um, you know, it's a game ender for me. I mean, if you don't earn the right to, be, you know, to use the power in the game... Uh, you end up basically with folks who, uh, you know, aren't playing in the spirit of actually advancing basically their characters and or their their uh, players. So, you know, that to me is very important. Yeah, what what you just said, and to summarize what you just said, is that leveling up in Battlefield 2142 is very meaningful. Yes. And it's not random. Yeah. Um, when you play it, you have there's like two tracks for each class, and you can pick. You, you can work towards the top of each uh, track's uh, top top um, weapon improvement or, or utility improvement. And so you have to make choices, too. Right. And I, I remember quite fondly uh, um, 
picking up other people's weapons when I shot them or when they got killed because you can pick up uh, other people's kits. And so when I first started playing this game, I would pick up, you know, these guys' kits who'd been playing for for months, if not years, and and thinking, wow, I got to get this, uh, and you get to like test it out, right? Uh, which was right. a very believable aspect of of the weapon weapon mod modifications on this game in, in that if you were on a real battlefield and you shot somebody, yeah, you could take their gun. Uh, right. and, and they allow you to do that here. And that, that uh, characteristic of belief, you know, the, the sort of immersive quality of, of an actual game, you know, this is where it starts. It starts with having actually believable activities that actually happen in the game. If you kill somebody, you can get their gun. If you're you know in a vehicle and you go through something, you destroy something, it shows up. Those kinds of things become really important for the gameplay uh, over the long haul, especially. And this is one of those instances uh, where you, you see a real difference between a PC game and a ported console game. And when yeah. I say port, I mean a game that was written for the console and then they ported the code over to run on a PC. Right. And I think you'll agree with me that in, in general, the PC or the games that are written initially for a P, a, the PC versus the Xbox or the PlayStation are, are really kind of honing in on a niche market because they, they don't have to sell you know a million units uh, to make their money back uh, on a PC game uh, and so you know the the leveling up is it's not so broad and meaningless uh, it's it's focused and des- designed for the gaming enthusiast I, I think there's something even more perverse about it, <laughs> and that is that, you know, with the console gamers, um, you know, the the level of control you have over whatever game you're playing is really limited to the controller. Here we actually have a controller in a mouse, but then we have a full keyboard as well, and yeah. so command and control of a for more stri- from more strategic basis really it doesn't show up you know key binds those kinds of things don't aren't important for ported games as much and and um you know i i i think here this is where the rubber meets the road you a real pc game experience utilizes the tools that you have uh, to make the gameplay more believable and and you know uh, something that uses uh, a full strategy and tactical sort of capacity in the game you know, needs more than just a couple buttons. And, um, you know, I, for me, I don't play shoot 'em up just so, you know, whoever can click the button faster. That, to me, that doesn't make sense. What I like is is having ways of approaching the game where, yeah, sure, you're going to shoot people, but, but you're going to use basically the environment and use your team and use basically objectives in a way that um, you're going to pull the other guy um, Efficiently, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 I like that. I that that actually leads me to come back to the game over and over to see how how I can actually better myself within the game structure, and I think that's important. It really is. Another thing about this game that's really important it's it's technically one word, but I'm going to say two words. It's Punk Buster. Yeah. And EA Games, uh, everyone I've played, they use the Punk Buster client service which I first discovered when I was playing uh, Battlefield 1942, uh, and it was awesome. Uh, it's a continually updated security client that will prevent people from hacking or cheating, and it's it's always it's a moving target. They're always figuring out how to stop new hacks and yeah. uh, and you know stop things called aimbots, 
which is something you can put into your character that makes it never miss. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's just a fantastic complement to the game. Now, I, I'm very amazed that people have the skill and ability to hack into a game, and let alone hack into a game that's somewhere else and do this. I, I, I have no idea how you would do that, but uh, yeah. I, do know, I do know the difference between playing in a Puckbuster versus a non-Puckbuster game, and right. I'm very glad that EA Games put it on 2142 and all their games. Well, and, and there's this other aspect of that, and that is is that with the capacity to hack, you end up attracting a community of people who want to hack. And, yeah. and, you know, I think I mentioned this actually in our Modern Warfare uh, review. You know, if the community that plays a game sucks and, and actually wants to bend the rules, then the gameplay suffers dramatically. Yes. You know, and, and, you know, part of having a compelling game is having basically a, a referee, right? In this case, the umpire is actually the game writers. And they actually set up the structure of the game, and you win within the structure of the game. If basically the only way you can win um, a game is by hacking it and by having mods that are outside of the norm, then you know the 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 premise that I come to a game and to play a game basically is ruined. And this is one of the reasons why I refuse to play Modern Warfare 2. I just you know you enter a game and and frankly you you are competing not just with the construct of the game but also with the aimbots and the hacks that other people bring to the game. Yeah. And, and- Geezers don't play like that. I, it's, sorry, I, it, you know, it's outside of. I think. Uh, I, I think there's actually a code. There's an ethics, you know, to playing good games and to be a good gamer, and and that ethics, uh, you know, needs to be respected, in my it, opinion. It absolutely does, and geezers don't have time to hack. Well, yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, even even if I wanted to, I don't think I'd want want to. Um, even if I did have the time, I don't think I would want to. Yeah. Is, is a better way to say it. Now, the, the other criteria that we apply at Gaming for Geezers is is we look at whether or not the single-player game experience is complementary to the multiplayer game, which is usually the most important aspect of a game for us. Right. And I have to say that this is, again, another textbook example of the perfect single-player experience. Yep. And primarily because the game looks, feels, and plays exactly like the multiplayer game. The only difference is that your opponents are computers in the single-player game. Right. And it doesn't rely on cutscenes to tell a story. There's no cliches uh, fighting along with you, which, you know, uh, your standard cliche combat squad is uh, a grizzled old uh, African-American combat veteran who is your... Uh, sergeant. Sergeant, yeah. yeah they, they never make them the officer, of course. Uh, you have your Hick from Texas, who has a drawl and is tough, but uh, the, you get glimpses of their humanity throughout the game. And then you have the nerd, uh, who is usually wearing black frame, flame framed glasses and, uh, you know, says nerdy things throughout the game. And then you are the ubiquitous. Um, uh, si- single male, white, brown hair, around six feet tall, and you've overcome great odds and hurdles in your life to b- become where you are, and then you single-handedly save the world, either by yourself or with your three buddies. Yeah, and like, when is someone going to change the script? For God's sakes, seriously. Yeah. But the, the, there's another aspect for me that is really important, and that is is that um, in this game. 
when you play single player, the upgrades that you get contribute to your experience in the multiplayer. And so you, know, you actually end up playing the single player to be able to move your, your kid along so you can be competitive within the multiplayer. And that is the, the dynamic between single and multiplayer are, are so complementary in that you know, the, that's actually how you learn, but that's also how you uh, end up um, maybe even trying out a different character or trying different tactics. It's almost like you can demo basically an approach before you can actually go live and, you know, and go against human beings. And, and that sort of interoperability between the, the single player and the multiplayer is important. You know, having a narrative structure, having basically, which is becoming more and more normal in, in, in games, you know, having some kind of storyline isn't necessarily a bad thing. But when they are so divorced from, from each other and you're not actually moving forward, you're not actually able to explore the capacity of the game in the single player, but you're on such a tight um, uh, uh, sort of narrative line, it, 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 it doesn't work for me. Yeah, you go, to, you go to from A to B, there's no thinking. It's just go forward and shoot what's ever in front of you. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? You shouldn't need cutscenes to, ex- to explain the game. Well, you know, again, and, and it just depends on, on the structure of games. I, I, I don't mind narrative, but if the cutscene doesn't actually advance your playability of a game, then just don't do it. Most of them are so badly done, and the production values suck, that, you know, there's no reason for them. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and, and in this game, uh, this game is all about the gameplay. Uh, Absolutely. I, I do like a good plot, and I do like intriguing characters that you feel invested in. Uh, yeah. But uh, ideally, you should not need that. It should just be about the gameplay. Com- completely. Um, yep. And at the end, that's what it is. Now, what's interesting is that you know I'm a geezer. I, I have a life. I can't necessarily devote uh, devout you know devote uh, you know hundreds of hours you know in a month to playing a game. So you know, does this meet your criteria for uh, for a geezer game? It does. Um, it uh, lets me shoot things. Um, it is replayable, and it's the kind of game that I can just pick up and play after setting it down for a while. Right, right. I I don't have to be uh, fully invested 40 hours a week in a game. Uh, I, I I've never had that kind of time in my life. Uh, you know, I I like to play uh, for maybe an hour a day if on a good week, uh, but. This is a game I can do that with, and right. I, I don't have to. I don't have to read message boards to figure out what's going on in the game. Um, the only thing, the only thing I have to do that uh, gets in the way of my geezerness is check for a for, check for a patch every once in a while. But you figure that out real fast, and you know they're obviously probably not patching this game anymore. No, no. But, you know, for me, I, I have some criteria around a, a good geezer game, you know. <laughs> you know, for me, I need to have, like, a defined instance. In other words, you know you know what an instance is, of course. You know, instance is basically when you have a defined objective uh, within a time frame. And, and that instance, basically, you know, you either complete it or you don't. You know, I, I think having a set time scale for, for these completion of objectives is really important. I can't, like you said, I, I don't have, you know, 10 hours to play a game. I can I have maybe an hour and a half or two hours, you know, when I have some time free at early morning on a Saturday when everyone else in the house is is sleeping in. Right. So, you know, that's one of that's one of the key things for me. And and none of that, but there are clearly defined end games, you know, to each 
each time I sit down. Like, you know, I'm going to complete a mission. I'm going to actually get an objective. I'm going to play three, three, you know, games or three instances of something. That's how I define a really good game for me. And I can keep coming back and replaying those differently. I can invent different ways of playing while I'm playing in that short time period. And this game actually allows me to do that. Yeah, it's it is just fantastic uh, in that in that sense. Um, so that kind of wraps up our review of the best game in the universe ever. Uh, Battlefield Ever. 2142. <laughs> uh, next episode, we're going to review Bad Company 2, uh, also another Battlefield franchise game. You can reach us at www.gamingforgeezers.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and we have Gmail, uh, gamingforgeezers at gmail.com. Send us your hate mail. Yes, we would love some hate mail. <laughs> and so for Mr. Krusty and myself, Nelson, um, go buy Battlefield 2142. It does not suck. No, it does not. <laughs>